In September, state environmental officials released much-anticipated draft rules and regulations for issuing permits for projects in areas that have been traditionally disproportionately impacted by pollution. The draft policy is part of the environmental justice focus in the state's Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, which was adopted in 2019. New Yorkers have until November 27th to weigh in on the proposal. To discuss the rationale for the new policy and assess its significance, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Sonal Jessel, Director of Policy for We Act for Environmental Justice and a member of the state's Climate Justice Working Group. Welcome back to the show, Sonal. Thank you, Dave. Happy to be here as always. So what is supposed to be accomplished by the draft policy that was released by the State Department of Environmental Conservation? This draft policy is meant to be giving direction to a specific section within the state's Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. That is Section 7.3, in which the law states that decisions made around achieving our climate goals cannot disproportionately burden disadvantaged communities. That language, as I'm sure our, as, as folks are listening to this or thinking, now what does that actually mean? Um, that's what this rule is meant to be doing. But it's doing that specifically for the Department of Environmental Conservation's permitting um, and how they will be making permitting decisions to align with Section 7.3. So it's not covering the full scope of what Section 7.3 does because that is really a governmental-wide law. So other agencies will have to decide and, and make clear how they're going to be making those kinds of decisions. But DEC has now put out one of the more impactful processes where decisions will be made, which is in, in how permits are approved or not approved based on whether they're disproportionately burdening disadvantaged communities. Well, I want to get into the logistics of this draft policy, but first, can you explain why this is an important goal and policy to have in the first place? Yeah, it's vitally important because what we know, not only in New York State, but across the country and worldwide, is that there are certain communities that are disproportionately bearing the burden of the climate crisis. And these tend to be the same communities that have experienced um, the negative impacts of unfair and unjust decision making for arguably generations when it comes to the environment. So dis disadvantaged communities in New York State are communities that have essentially a higher climate, environmental, and health burdens. And they are identified because it is important to make sure that these more burdened communities are getting you know, specific interventions or specific considerations when it comes to how we're solving the climate crisis in New York State. And so the section in the CLCP is very important because it's saying, okay, there already are communities that are disproportionately getting hit hard by the climate crisis that are already dealing with high um, rates of asthma from air pollution issues like this and ensuring that they are receiving uh, consideration for how they're going to be protected. So that's what this plan, this draft plan is doing is it's starting that process of defining how protection will work. And for the purposes of when this practice will take effect, 
what is a, a disadvantaged community? I think it's one of those things where we have some idea, but this is actually defined now, right? Yes. So there is a definition that was voted on just last year of disadvantaged community, and that was voted on by the Climate Justice Working Group, for which I am a member. And this definition is essentially just a map of where these census tracts across New York State are, who are considered to have this sort of higher burden of this combination of environmental, climate, health, and also demographic information. And so the disadvantaged communities in New York State are the ones that will be receiving what is written in the CLCPA to be 35, a minimum of 35 to 40% of you know, the benefits and investments of climate spending and climate interventions in New York State. So they there's a specific definition and um, there are specific rules written into the laws in New York State that determine how these disadvantaged communities need to be treated. Well, then turning to the permitting process itself, is the proposal from the Hochul administration a meaningful one? I would say overall, yes. I think that there's some room for improvement. However, what is written here does take into account the different kinds of permits that can lead to, you know, health impacts. So air quality permits, um, liquefied natural gas, petroleum gas permits, hazardous waste permits. Um, These are permits that we know are of facilities that do uh, pollute communities and can hurt people's health. So it is covering a good swath of um, facilities that are creating this, what we call a cumulative burden of hazard in, in, in disadvantaged communities. The the rules also do outline how they will determine whether a project might be impacting a disadvantaged community and has a thoughtful explanation around this, does include an explanation around how public participation will work as the DEC is evaluating permits for this disproportionate burden, and then also um, does outline what a disproportionate burden report needs to include and what kinds of considerations for um, sort of ameliorating burden could be included as well. So they do, uh, the rule does include a good scope of um, the different kinds of steps that need to be taken to evaluate this this, um, disproportionate burden. So they have clearly been thoughtful on, on this rule. Well, I want to get more into the weeds with you in a second. But first, let me reintroduce you for listeners uh, just joining us. You're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're talking about the State Department of Environmental Conservation's recent release policy on permitting uh, and disadvantaged communities. And our guest is Sonal Jessel, and she is the Director of Policy for We Act for Environmental Justice and a member of the state's Climate Justice Working Group. So you mentioned this idea that in situations where a project uh, is in or likely to affect a disadvantaged community, uh, there's going to have to be a, a disproportionate burden report compiled. If it's determined, though, that a project is unlikely to affect a disadvantaged community, it's my understanding that no other requirements uh, described in this policy are going to apply. 
does that make sense at that point? If you clear that first hurdle, does it make sense not to have any other additional review in, in terms of this policy? Or would you like to see, I don't know, what's tantamount to maybe double checking or, or other considerations to have? Yeah, that that is a great question. There is an agreement that there needs to be some really great guardrails here where um, no project slips by when they may actually be contributing to disproportionate burden and still kind of get to move forward as well. So that is a that is a real consideration of how do we make sure that um, there isn't too much wiggle room here in the rules essentially uh, to ensure that projects are really being captured. Um, the other important element to consider here is that there is another law that will be enacted shortly in about a year called that is colloquially called the cumulative impacts law that governor Hochul signed into law at the end of last year and that law actually will be important here as well because that law is also determining essentially as a guidance for dec to be evaluating certain facilities for uh, their contribution to cumulative burden as well and so there is a scenario in which um, facilities will be subject to this very similar process outlined in this new um, draft rules for the cumulative impacts law. So that is also sort of another check and balance that now exists that we are very happy about because it will also be requiring facilities to be doing burden reports. So we imagine a lot of the um, guidance given in this draft document will also be used to ensure the cumulative impacts law is moving forward correctly as well. What about the length of the permits that we're talking about here? Because I have to imagine there's some concern about giving overly long permits as situations might change and business practices might change and and there might be less of an interest in in allowing certain activities. So does this new policy impact the length uh, of permits with uh, maybe a focus or having shorter permits so that you can have more regular review of what's going on in and around disadvantaged communities? Yeah, so I think you're highlighting one area that uh, seems like a gap to me um, in the rules, which is there's not really much information on permit renewals, um, which is very important because a lot of these permits have to renew every five years. So that is a cadence that could be used to ensure some checks and balances, but that's currently not not written in these rules. What types of projects are covered by this proposal? Is it spelled out specifically? And if not, should it be? There is a list of permits that would essentially trigger this process. So it includes um, air quality, like air pollution control permits. It includes um, solid waste management permits, hazardous waste permits, as well as a couple others. And then it also does describe um, that projects that might result in uh, greenhouse gas emissions or might result in the co-pollutants, which is like PM 2.5, would be also fall under this review. It also says any permits that are for any kind of energy production, um, distribution, transmission, storage, uh, all of that would fall under here as well. So there are some specific permits that are written into the rule. And then there's a couple, you know, statements of wider scope for which 
types of projects would fall under this rule. Well, finally, once this does begin to get implemented, do you feel like the state and the Department of Environmental Conservation specifically has the capacity, both in the number of personnel and personnel expertise, to implement this new policy? Because it seems like it will be some extra work, potentially, since it is being applied a little more rigorously than some of the standards that we might have had in the past. Yeah, that's an excellent question. It certainly is extra work. And to do this review well, you do need to be able to really read through the burden reports and understand what they're saying um, and understand the the area that the facility is, you know, proposing to be in. Um, and then, you know, to bring up the cumulative impacts law again, that's only about a year away from when that becomes um, active. And that also is a very similar process to what's written in these rules and certainly will require uh, time as well on DEC's part. And so, uh, you know, that's one big reason why we and other organizations are really calling on the governor to add more funding to increase the staff in the air quality monitoring um, department in the EC because they do have a big drop ahead. And my understanding is that the EC does have a desire to do this right, but to do this right, they do need to make sure they have the personnel and the training to do that and to also move the permits along at a, a timely pace, um, which is really important. And Recently, in September, only about a week apart, the controller came out with a report about DEC's air monitoring program, finding that there are a lot of permits for facilities that have slipped through the cracks and not gotten their adequate um, evaluation for environmental justice, which has led some facilities to continue to essentially pollute communities um, past the time that they were kind of given that permit to do so. And so that also gives us pause and makes us concerned. Okay, if BEC has not uh, completed um, going back and resolving a, a huge handful of permits in the state, how do we make sure that they have the staffing and the capability and the wherewithal to do that for all of these permits that are going to fall under Section 73 um, now that these rules are out? So we we're really pushing to make sure that DEC has all of the the support and all of the capacity that they need to do this work. Well, we've been speaking with Sonal Jessel. She's the director of policy for We Act for Environmental Justice and a member of the state's climate justice working group. Sonal, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information.